Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Brandon, and I have with me Pastor Dan. Hey, how you doing, Pastor Brandon? And the lovely Christina Rains. Hi, guys. Uh, most of you guys know Pastor Dan, the youth pastor. Most of you know me, and uh, some of you know Christina Rains, who is also a teacher here at Lake Road Christian School. Um, but you might have seen her at church, too. So, uh, welcome to B-Sides, the podcast for whatever does not fit in a sermon. Okay, today, stories from the wilderness. We're going to have some stories from people who have braved the wilderness, which, Pastor Dan, I know you were present for one of them, a live recording, and it was excellent. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for your cooperation there talking. Uh, we also have an awesome quote I'm going to share and a reading from The Lion King. Uh, but let's not miss the elephant in the room, which actually most people don't even give two thoughts toward. The Oscars. Did you guys watch the Oscars? No. no. Because, yeah, we were at church. Yeah. I was praising God at a concert. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought you and the youth were gone because you're watching the Oscars. No, no, you know, don't know me very well. <laughs> well, good to know that um, you guys were actually at the concert. So, uh, I know most of us don't really care that much about the Oscars, who wins or not, but... I was thinking it'd be really cool if we did our own Oscars. The Bible Awards. The most important verse, the most important book, the most important character in the Bible for people personally. I don't know, what would you call something like that? Um, the Bibbies. The Bibbies. <laughs> Just don't roll out the red carpet. Sure. <laughs> it's a well, purple carpet. Uh, let's, let's start with you, Pastor Dan. Uh oh, okay. The, uh, no. No, first no. we have a challenge and then we'll launch into this. Oh no. What kind of challenge? Because, well, we need to summarize Sunday's message for those that haven't heard it. And I thought I'd put myself to the challenge of doing this in two minutes. Oh wow. Okay, go. <laughs> right? Do you, do you think I can do that? I think you can. I'm confident in you. I think you guys are too nice. So, um, Pastor Jan, you want to start the timer? Go. <laughs> I'll do it. Hang on. I got it for real. Pastor Dan was actually going to fake timing this. <laughs> just so that he won. No I just know what. how long-winded Brandon can be. Okay. <laughs> on your mark. Wait, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, on your mark. Get set. Go. Okay, so Mark is inviting us to brave the wilderness with Jesus. The wilderness is that place where you don't actually fit in or belong with any uh, group. People want you to be A or B, and you're neither. Uh, we see Jesus braving the wilderness throughout his ministry. He has a call, a mission from God, and he's not willing to comply with what everybody wants him to be. So he goes into that uncomfortable space, that empty space where you're alone, you're rejected. So, of course, we're not surprised to see uh, the religious leaders rejecting him and not accepting him. But then his friends and family don't accept him either. But then in Mark's gospel, the surprise is that even the 12 disciples don't accept him. Um, they, and this is in Mark's gospel, so unique to his gospel, that they are almost equated to the Pharisees, and people are like, are these guys good or bad? We don't know. So they don't accept Jesus either. Uh, Jesus constantly has to choose courage over comfort. And that's not easy because we often choose comfort over courage. How does Jesus choose courage over comfort? Well, we find he gets these um, visions of who he is. God reminding him, hey, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And when you can hear that from God, you can face any wilderness. Because the most important place for us to belong is God, not a party. 
not a person, not an identity, unless it's, of course, God. So, we close the message off with live wild. If you belong to God, you can live wild and not be afraid of the wilderness. Wild is an acronym. W, believe you are worthy of love and belonging. I, identity. Understand your identity as a child of God, like Jesus did. Uh, L, love. Choose love over hatred, because often when we're in the wilderness, we don't want to love, we want to hate people that reject us. And I have ten seconds. Uh, D was dual. Don't duel. People want you to choose this side or that side and get in an argument with you. Say, no, I'm in the wilderness. I'm neither. Don't promote division. I'm done at two minutes. Nice. Alright, awesome. So now we're all up to date. Let's move on now to Pastor Dan. Yes. The most important verse this year for you. Um, it has to do with youth always, you know. Um, they're our future and they take a lot of time to love and that and it's uh first Timothy four twelve and it's uh let no man despise thy youth but be thou and uh, what example is that? But um or version, I'm sorry, let no one look down on you because of your youth, but be the example and set a pattern for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And I truly think that that goes goes along with living wild and with courage. Nice. So is this always your verse or is this your is it specifically better for you this year? Um, you know, it is a verse that, you know, I always have on my heart because working with the youth after 20 some odd years. But this year, definitely. Um, this year, we've had some challenges. As um, a lot of people know, that I take care of disciplinary at the school too. But it's not uh, discipline; it's an opportunity to counsel and come alongside them. And I'm seeing that these these youth are striving to make a change. Yeah. And sometimes we underscore them or um, don't give them credit where credits due. So it's been a year where it's definitely coming true. I've seen some major growth in the youth and students this year. Praise God. It's yes. Awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. And Christina's verse of the year. So my verse of the year is Isaiah 41.10. And this is actually not my normal verse that I get every year. And it is, uh, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And this verse has been um, unique to my life this year because I feel like the Lord has called me to do things that I'm not comfortable doing. And when that happens, I get really fearful and afraid. And um, this year, I've had to step out of my comfort zone a lot. And so being um, able to walk in the path that God has for me and trusting him, knowing that he's going to uphold me and guide me and be with me is kind of, I guess, my theme for the year. And so I don't know. I think that it's applicable to everyone because he does call us to do things that are uncomfortable or something that we would not normally do. Courage. Yeah, courage. Yeah. Goes back wow. to right the sermon. I think we knew the sermon before he told us. We've been studying. Yes. <laughs> I did not even know what verses they picked until this moment, so <laughs> it's not planned. And the book of the year goes to Pastor Dan. Ephesians. Nice. Oh, Raising these kids up to be warriors and put on the full armor of God, not just one piece of it. Teaching them to come alongside in the strength and the boldness that Christ gives them to be ready for any kind of battle. That's real timely because I'm actually launching into our fourth unit with my students, and that's a whole unit on Ephesians. Wow. I have it copywritten, so. 
<laughs> Do I owe the royalties? No, you're my older god. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm really, I, I'm actually just been like digging out a lot of stuff for that, so that's really cool. That's such awesome. A, such a valuable book. But this year specifically, huh? yeah, yeah. Good. Like I said, I've just seen some rapid growth in students, our youth group, our students here at the school, and it's, it's just blown me away. It just really, really is. We had an open discussion yesterday and just hearing these kids share from their hearts. It's, you know, everybody just under, undermines them and don't give them a voice and they have a lot to say. Yeah. And we gotta love on them and show them and encourage. Yeah. And Christina's book of the year. My book of the year is Daniel. And actually, I love Daniel and he did a bunch of hard things, but it's actually looking at, <laughs> you like looking lions. at, uh, <laughs> it's actually contrasting the kings. Like, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, for example, is really been a really interesting figure for me to see the difference of like how he was so prideful and how the hmm. Lord had to challenge him and even called him to like have to like wander and eat grass and all these things and having to see that God knew best for him, even though it was something that he would never have chosen. So the book of Daniel, I think, really speaks of courage and humility and just like uh, it's how you're supposed to walk. And it shows all different kinds of walks and how people walk. And I think that that was really useful for me. So it's Daniel. Nice. So two for two on the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then let's start with Christina on the character of the year. Oh, okay. My character of the year... Um, let's see. I'm going to have to go with probably Daniel. Uh-huh. I the trifecta, right? There. <laughs> yes. Old Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament. All right. Yeah. And so, um, Daniel is my character of the year because he was challenged, um, with being taken captive and having to serve in the king's court and live in a world that maybe he didn't agree with. Like he didn't agree with like the food customs and some of the things that he was required to do, but he was faithful and he didn't complain. He did it well and he had yeah. courage in God. And even when he had to speak to kings and Nebuchadnezzar and all these people, he, had to choose to say things boldly, but he never did it in a way that was unkind or um, ugly, but it was true, and he always pointed back to God's glory. And um, so that's been really challenging, and I don't know if that's... I have a theme. <laughs> My theme is like the book of Daniel and Isaiah 40. But that's awesome, because he never bowed down either exactly. to the world. Yeah, and so he was a very good example, and I thought that, that that's something that I want to emulate and hopefully do, and I mean, he's like one of those perfect people you look up to, but you know, he did have his things too. So it's really encouraging, but it's a good example to walk in. Man, I got more than I bargained for. This is awesome. (laughs) It's because you put me on the spot. (laughs) You need that more often, I guess. No. Pressure, pressure. Hey, scripture tells us we should be always ready to give the reason why we believe. And yeah, credit, (laughs) credit Christina, because she, she, I had to like beg her to come. She was like, I, 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 yeah. Oh, fantastic. Pastor Dan, New Testament, New Testament, are we going to do a trifecta? We're going to Paul. All right. Yeah. We've got, <laughs> speaking of wilderness, so we got the Old Testament side, the New Testament side. I guess I'm the wilderness. <laughs> Am I going to have to, like, blend in? Are you wild? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Paul. Um, Paul, because of the fact that, you know, we know how his story started, where, you know, he was the farthest thing from a follower of Christ, but... You know, I always think about when we give our lives to the Lord, I wish I could change my name and change everything about me where it's a fresh start. Mm -hmm. But we don't, but we get a fresh start in Christ. And his boldness, his boldness was, and he didn't care where he went. 
whether he's in prison or not, he says, I'm going to further the kingdom of God no matter what, even to the point in his old age. He says, you know, if I would like to die or, you know, I'm just paraphrasing, but I'd like to die. But if you want me, Lord, to stay here and further your kingdom, I'm okay with that. And I think that's the huge thing. We have to be okay with God's plan, not our plan. Mm -hmm. Because if we follow our plan, we blow it. We mess up. But I love his boldness no matter where he was. And I like the fact that when he got put in prison, he's like, I don't have to be ashamed now. I just let it go, you know. And, And even to the compassion, the letters that he wrote where he expressed how much he cared and loved and um, you know this year has really shown me you know we get beat up with the fact of you know the time we put into lessons or we're pressed for this and that and when I talk or I see what God's doing it's like it's compassion that holds you there and you should never lose focus of what the passion is because when you get caught up in you know, the, the hustle bustle of life, you're going to miss the compassion and it's all around us. And Paul's love for one another and to further God's kingdom was priceless. And he never held back and it didn't matter where he was and it didn't matter how they were treating him. He was always there 100%. Fantastic. Yeah. Paul is Daniel, both man. So superheroes in the Bible. <laughs> yes. I mean, we talk about Without the cape. actor and best actress. Well, I mean, I know they're not like acting, but <laughs> yeah, the performance that they're able to uh, uphold in the face of the pressures they went through, and yeah. Yeah, it's just amazing. It's worthy of an Oscar, real life Oscar. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> Refining in the fire, you know. See it in Daniel. We see it in Paul, and so many other great superheroes in the Bible. Well, Christina, Dan, thank you very much. You're You're so welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. How can we brave the wilderness like Jesus? How can we stand up for who God has made us, even if nobody accepts it? Or if people tell you you don't fit in? Simple. Like Jesus, we have to know our identity. There are a few places in Mark's gospel where his identity is emphasized. And we need to learn that identity as well. For example, Mark opens his gospel by telling us who Jesus is. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Of course, later In the middle of the gospel, Peter addresses that. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And then at the end of the gospel, after Jesus is crucified, you have the Roman centurion who then addresses this. Truly, this man was the son of God. So Mark opens with Jesus, the Christ, the son of God. In the middle, Peter You are the Christ. And at the end, the Roman. He was the Son of God. Jesus also personally hears this from the Father. When he comes up out of the waters of baptism, we read in Mark 1.11, And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And then again, on the mount where Jesus is transfigured, in chapter 9, verse 7, 
and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. There's this moment in The Lion King, that Disney animation film, where Simba, who is the son of Mufasa, Mufasa the king, Simba takes his dad's place as king of the Pride Lands. But through a series of events, Simba has to leave the Pride Lands because the evil takes over, and Simba gradually forgets who he is, and he loses confidence in his calling, in his identity, to go back to Pride Rock and face the evil there and restore order and goodness. Fortunately, there's a monkey who acts a bit like a prophet, like John the Baptist, named Rafiki, who seeks to remind him about his identity. So Simba has run away. He's in this paradise of a place where it's safe. They have food. They live by this philosophy known as Hukuna Matata. It means no worries. They have zero worries, which means zero responsibilities. And so there he seeks to just live his life away in comfort. Then Rafiki, the monkey, the prophet, shows up. And he follows Simba around. Simba says to him, Who are you? And Rafiki replies, The question is, Who are you? And the question sinks into Simba, and he realizes, I thought I knew. I don't know anymore. I know who you are, Rafiki says. You're Mufasa's boy. And Rafiki then takes Simba to a pool of water and says, There. Simba looks into the water and sees his own reflection looking back at him. Naturally, Simba's disappointed. That's that's not Mufasa. That's just my reflection. But then Rafiki tells him to look harder. And as Simba does, this happens. I'm going to read this section from uh, one of the books they made for kids. I know, dad life. Before Simba's amazed eyes, a swirl of clouds parted, and Mufasa's image slowly filled the night sky. But it wasn't really his father. He could see right through him. Simba gulped. He was looking at a ghost. Dad? he asked, beginning to feel afraid. Simba, you have forgotten me. No, Simba cried. How could his father ever think that? The king's image changed again. Simba could no longer see the ghost, but instead could feel his father's presence all around him. Mufasa had become part of the air itself. You have forgotten who you are, said the voice of Mufasa. And so you have forgotten me. Oh no, Dad, insisted Simba. He felt a sob rising in his throat. I'd never forget you. Mufasa's voice grew gentle. Look inside yourself, Simba. You are more than what you have become. But, but Dad, 
I've made a place for myself here, explained Simba. I'm not who I used to be. How can I go back? Remember who you are, said his father. You are my son and the one true king. Mufasa's voice started to fade. Remember who you are. Dad, pleaded Simba. Please don't go. Don't leave me. Remember, remember, repeated the voice as it faded away. That's a pivotal moment in the story. After that, Simba remembers who he is and he realizes, I am the king's son. I need to go and bring salvation to my kingdom. Now, obviously, Jesus is not a lion, and obviously Jesus never forgot who he was. But the reminders of his identity surely helped give him courage to do and to bring the salvation he came to bring. So, hopefully that story can be somewhat of an encouragement for us when we feel like we want to choose comfort over courage to look deeper at ourselves to where the Spirit of God dwells within. We are sons and daughters of God, of the King, and He is well pleased with us. Up next, we have a couple of stories of those who braved the wilderness. First, we have a story from Bree Heil, one of my students. She tells a story as interviewed by Ben Curtin. This conversation was recorded live at one of the high school chapels. That one. Thanks. I'm in the right chair this time. Yeah. All right. What's up, guys? It's, uh... Good to be up here. Good to talk to Bree. We've actually done this before, and that's kind of how Brandon sparked it, because Bree has a lot of interesting things Interesting things that's happened to her. And let me just intro a little bit. The best part of this interview is that Bree is somebody who will tell you that she doesn't have a very argumentative attitude towards anything. She's not somebody who wants to stir up something or wants to do this or even really likes, say, like a debate or this, doesn't have too much of an opinion. She's Sweet, and as all of you know, she's just beautiful, easy to be around, easy to going. So these kind of experiences are interesting. These kind of experiences are interesting to happen to her. And so our first one is we're talking about grace. And looking at grace and judgment with Bree, she's had a lot of interesting things. So if you'd like to intro a couple of them for judgment in the church. Well, uh, yes, Ben's right. I'm not controversial, in my opinion. Um, (laughs) Okay. Um, So... Um, there has been a lot of instances happening in going to church in which um, I was treated a little bit on the lower side because of the fact that I wear lots of black. So um, there's been um, instances with holy oil, holy water, uh, demon calling out of me. and um, A demon calling out of you. Has anybody else ever been to a church and had a demon called out of them? That sounds like movie stuff. No, 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 no. If I came in there, I'd start taking off. Somebody started to throw water at me. Like, what is going on? To to clarify, the demon was not called out of me because there was no demon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I probably should have talked about that. Hopefully it was clean. That's a good point in it. But anyways, yeah, and that's crazy to me. Like, we all go to church, and most of us kind of 
I mean, it's not hard to look the part to be okay in a church setting. You kind of show up as a young kid. We all go to a Christian school. We know how it is. But that's crazy to me that the one place that's supposed to be open to anybody, open to that, is you showed up just wearing black and they went after you. And what was, like, your first response to that? Um, I was really confused <laughs> because, actually, one of my first um, instances with this was I went to one of my uh, family members church down the hill and they were very big on speaking in tongues and dancing and things and so they grabbed me and pulled me around and then started running around the church and yelling in tongues and then they tried to call the demon out of me and I was like I'm afraid <laughs> like wild animal type thing I was way more afraid of them than they were of me and it was yeah it was scary like I didn't tongues? go back in yeah, like, like literal crazy movie stuff that you hear like like yeah they were like yelling and I, I got really scared so um, I, I stood outside the front door of the church for like the next two hours until the service was over <laughs> and yeah, I didn't want to go, wanna in. go in there either no. that's pretty crazy to me <clears throat> so they pulled you in a song and dance pulled yeah. you around and tried to ask you if a demon comes out and in tongues so well, you didn't even understand what was going on yeah no not only did I not understand but when they did say in English that they were calling out the demon uh, it wasn't it, they didn't ask me they just were like come out and I was like what <laughs> of where <laughs> that's nuts and you've actually had like it might sound like it's only one but she's actually had multiple times where this has happened at different locations right yeah it's yeah it's been different locations and um actually the church we went to now um, has really changed, but um, when we first went to it, it was under a whole different leadership, a whole different, like, there was a whole different group there, and um, <clears throat> not to say I don't like it, they were, they're fantastic, I love them, but um, a while back, I was very into, like, card tricks and stuff like that, and yeah, so yeah. having the cards and then wearing all black, they were like, oh my god, she's obviously a witch. <laughs> a witch, like, and, I got, and I got a witch in her. So, so how many times has this happened to you? Oh, I haven't, I haven't no. counted. Um, I don't know, quite a few. Um, I'd say probably in the area of like seven or eight. Seven or eight times. Well, yeah, I didn't even know that, and I've interviewed it before. And trying to come back into our grace. So I know you're grown up pretty soundly in Christianity, and you have a strong belief in it yeah. because you have found the places that aren't going to, A, throw holy water out of you, call you a witch because you're wearing black, get you in a song and dance, and then do some supernatural ecstasy yeah. thing on you, yeah. or some exorcist, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Whole different rabbit trail we're not going to go down. Not sure it was blissful to be there. Listen, Ben, I know I wear black, but you need to calm down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, if you weren't to have grown up and have that kind of foundation, that knowledge that it is good, there is good people and did it, do you think that, A, you would have come back or you would have been so scared away from that religion or that group of people? I think um, if I didn't have the growing up in Christianity, um, it would have been harder for me, but I believe that um, one of the, one of my big things right now is that no one can get in the way of what God has for you, and I think that's the coolest thing. Because like we think, oh, I messed that up. No, God has something for you, and you like can't mess it up because it's His plan. So I think that no matter what, I would probably still have come to the faith. It would have been harder, and I think that definitely now I still have some trouble going to new places and meeting new people is hard for me, but. Um, yeah, I think I would still, probably. Yeah, and I think, especially up here at the school, a lot of us forget about that, because ours is so freely given. Ours is so 
there. We get to come to a school. We get to learn about it. We get to have all these people around us who also believe in it, who also know it backwards and forwards. And a lot of us forget about that there is places in this world that it is so looked down upon. And it is so hard just to find people who are willing to give that to you. And we we forget about that. It's thought against in a lot of places. And for us to have something like that happen, we would be so scared away from it because our Christianity has to be nice and safe in our church. And I think that we should remind that there should be, regardless of what happens in a church or what happens in the setting that's supposed to be your God setting, that you know that God in you, what he has a plan for you, is in you. It's not a church. It's not a church setting. And I think you said that really well. And I think that a lot of us could look more into the face of that. But I just have to ask, if you were to get scared away from that, if you were to get like away from that, what would be, if somebody is to happen to one of these kids, what would you be your advice now that it's happened seven oh, times apparently? Holy cow. Um, I think that, um, just remember that humanity, humanity sucks. People suck. And um, sadly, this is a fallen world and people are not the best all the time. And I think that that's really something that we should keep in mind because the church, our job is to show God's love. That is like one of our number one up there. Hey, this is it. So, um, Sadly, if that love isn't shown to you, then they aren't showing God's love. And God's love is different from what they are showing. So just keep at it. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. And uh, (laughs) I think one of the things that I like about Bree and like interviewing her, why I love to do this, is that's that's in a very, instead of just looking at her young and looking at her as a young Christian, having that kind of experience brings a huge maturity to her belief. Because we can all grow up as young or whatever, and we could say, oh, you haven't had life experiences where this is going to be tested, or there's not going to be life experiences where you have to know where you believe. You haven't hit that yet. But Brie over here has been tested. I personally do not know how I would react if I came into a church building and then got thrown around in a dance circle, and then people started yelling a different language on me. I think I'd be booking it out, regardless of where it was. Or if I got thrown water on, I'd kind of look at the guy and be like, all right, you know what, maybe next Sunday, but right now I'm not feeling it. just put on my makeup. It. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, just put on makeup. So, <laughs> so I don't know if I have that. That would, I guess that would bug that, me too. I'd have to leave after that. I'd have that, to redo foundation and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I have a, just a couple more questions that I'd like to ask. And do you think that even when the good is shown that you still sometimes feel that just because of um, usually how Christians are supposed to look? I think, um, definitely there's a stereotypical kind of like oh this is a christian and i think that it's really possible for everyone to have different walks or have different views and i think that that's a thing that exists even in your everyday because you look around and some people maybe are christians and they kind of look at you funny because they look very prototypical and you have mm-hmm. more of a different look do you ever still feel like a little bit apart from oh, the yeah, community definitely. in it absolutely you do yeah completely <laughs> so like um, even here do you feel sometimes out of things or out of different areas um here i've been very very included so i actually don't really feel that here but when i go to like a new place i think there's always just a voice in the back of my head that's like a not your crowd yeah or is your crowd well i like to i try to go into every place that i go to with um as mr bundy would say uh happy hearts so um i try to be positive as i would go into places but um there is always that little voice in the back of my head that's like hey watch yourself and i'm like chill man (laughs) 
And uh, going back to kind of grace and judgment, do you feel, is that where you found kind of your peace in knowing that God's grace is there? And at the end of the day, it's God's grace, nobody else's grace? Yeah, that's really where I found that because um, I think at the end of the day, no matter what anybody thinks of me, whether I'm good or bad, God knows my heart. God knows who I am. God knows who he made me to be. So, like, I also know who I am. So, in my opinion, it's why should others be able to tell me hey you're to this or you're not this enough to the point where i should change myself because god made me to be a certain way for a reason yeah and i was actually recently up at the weekend i went up to a camp hume lake probably a lot of you have heard of it whatever and one of their biggest things that they were talking about up there was burden was having these burdens especially as young people of regret or something that you did and then feeling against it and it kind of goes with grace because what they were talking about is they had this little short film and it was these two kids who were miners and they were mining in this dark place underground and one of the kids had this real problem with what is the meaning of this Every day I wake up and my pack feels heavier. And I go out and I found my flower fly. I think it's fireflies they're looking for to keep the light in their soul or whatever. And he finds totally meaningless. And finally he ventures out and goes to the surface and finds this guy. And it's like the God figure that says, no, because you ventured out, you wanted to find more. You didn't get scared. You gave your burden to me. His pack leaves him. And he gets to see the light and he doesn't have the, he is full of meaning like this. And do you feel like because of grace, I feel like I do because of grace that that burden of, of what you felt if somebody was to go after you or because of how you look or throw water on you, that that burden is totally lifted because there's grace there and he's given it to you. I think, yeah. And again, it goes back to he, he knows my heart yeah. and just, that's what really matters most to me. And um, I think that everyone in the world could think I was awful if God thought I was good, and I'd be okay with that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's super good. And and if I was to say one of an emphasis on Christianity, if I was to talk mm-hmm. to somebody who's having a really tough time with it, I think I would probably hit on a huge point would be grace. Would be grace not because everybody wants it because they know there's a sinner because we're all sinners or, to, or it is, and he'll take our file and throw it away like in the video, but because besides the fact of the end of the day he'll take and give you grace and forgive you of your sins there's burden now that he can help you let go of there's burden of feeling like you're ostracized from the group because of how you look of how you think there's the burdens of you don't think you're right so even if you show up and you're in the group you never quite feel like satisfied with the life around you and you never felt good in your soul but because of that grace and that non-judgment in him our burdens can be lifted and i would think that if you have anything that would be important to come to terms with that that he can lift your burdens and he can give you grace and that's why Brie is such a thing of smiles regardless if you throw holy water at her or you're told her she's a witch she's gonna smile at you and laugh not at you but with you because it's like you may think that but i'm not i'm in god he's taking my burden he's grace and he can take yours too and i know we're all christians here and at the end of the day she can love and we can all love and it's just a great thing to know that grace is here and your burdens can be lifted so thank you Bree, so much now our second story about a wilderness braver. So now I'm going to talk with Ryan Guth. He is one of my students. He's a senior this year. And Ryan is a very interesting personality in the classroom because he holds what some would call a progressive belief system. Um, 
and I've always appreciated your angle on things, Ryan. Um, but there was a time when I think there maybe maybe there are times plural. It's probably when, more accurate. <laughs> yeah, when people don't always appreciate your views. Tell me about that time two years ago. Um, yeah, so I was in a literature class. Um, we had an assignment that was leading up to Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And the assignment was basically, um, what is a dream that you have that you could change the world by doing, like Martin Luther King, in sort of a way to honor his memory? Um, so I wrote about... Um, the way Christians use language to um, oppress minority groups. And in my presentation, I uh, specifically talked about um, Muslim Americans and the way um, we really oppress them and um, incite violence, basically. So um, I gave my presentation, and it was not well-received, uh, to put it lightly, um, what did you say? I, um, I think the most controversial thing that I said, which is just true, is um, that there are actually more Christian terrorists in the United States than there are Muslim terrorists. You, you have to realize that that is initially a very startling statement yeah certainly but also we're like 70 percent christian so it's not necessarily surprising it's just like you hear more about the muslim ones because they're scarier and they get more time on the news and better ratings i don't like the idea that um a just because a christian we don't think a person who murders someone for ideological reasons, which is terrorism, um, we like to think that they're not Christians. However, I think a Muslim person who's not radical or a terrorist would say a very similar thing about Islam. So for purposes of, you know, fairness, you have to either count neither of them and say that, you know, all um, people who commit these crimes are agnostic or you have to say, which I think is the more reasonable thing to do, because it's the ideology that's inspiring them, you have to say that people who profess to be Christians that commit acts of terror are Christian terrorists, and that people who are Muslims and commit acts of terror are Islamic terrorists. I think that's just fair. The important part of my speech, in my mind, was that the way that we treat these people actually inspires more Muslim people to become terrorists. Um, actually, um, ISIS's main talking points, if you look at some of their blogs and stuff on Facebook, is that the West, they, it's not that they hate the West, it's that the West hates them, which I think is pretty true, actually. Yeah, so in a sense, you're, you're, you're giving this balanced view in which, look, some people don't act the way that they should according to their beliefs, uh, Christians do that too? Oh, well, so actually, um, I used a very specific example at the time that um, was intended to be evocative. Um, I had, um, it was actually the week I gave the presentation, um, the week before there had been 
a um, man who had uh, gone into an abortion clinic and shot it up and killed a lot of people. So I talked about that, which is almost identical to a Muslim terrorist attack in that his faith uh, had inspired him to commit this atrocity, which is clearly not Christian values, but almost inarguably a Christian terrorist attack. Okay. So, yeah, you're just assessing um, Muslims the way that we should assess Christianity as well. Exactly. And and if, if you look at it in that way, it's hard to say that Muslim or that Islam is a religion of terror because most people aren't terrorists that are Muslim. That was what I wanted to get across. Um, in the end, I ended up having a three-day, what was called a debate, where uh, the entire class uh, stood up and explained to me why I was wrong. <laughs> uh, and so uh, Everyone against Ryan. Everyone against Ryan, except for like two people who didn't want to participate. Uh, so and they quietly supported you. Very quietly. <laughs> um, but then whenever I tried to have a counterpoint, the teacher would always tell me, no, Ryan, you can't talk because you're too aggressive right now, no matter what I was going to say. So I had no... That's okay, so this, this happens. You make these statements, um, which seem fairly fair. Then the rest of the class basically says, no, you're wrong. You're not fitting in with us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're alone. Two people are not courageous enough to really be with you on this. Which is fair. Oh, okay, it's fair. Yeah, if, I don't know that I would have done it if I knew what I was getting myself into. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I, I certainly would now because you wouldn't. I've grown, but how as you... a sophomore in high school, I don't know that I would have. Yeah, really, gotten myself into that. It had some pretty gnarly repercussions. Yeah. Okay. So, two questions then. Out of that, how have you grown? Um, well, so for about a year after that, I was really timid because I ended up losing all of my friends um, in that. And so I had, this is hard, I had um, sort of just been on the down low for about a year. And I was, I don't know how much of this I can share. Um, I ended up being not talking during something that I felt very strongly was wrong. And it ended up, this wasn't in school, by the way, um, it ended up hurting one of my friends in a way that I didn't know that it would until later. Um, And then so through that, um, I just sort of promised myself that I would not be quiet when stuff like that's happening. So... You do this project and speak up. You didn't like the results. Nobody liked the results. Then you don't speak the next time. And the results are much worse. Much worse results. So you've learned a resolve that standing up for what you believe in is more important. Or for what is right. Because I would would rather that it all lands on me than someone in the room who's struggling with something that I don't know about. Wow. That sounds... Kind of like Jesus taking up his cross. I'd like to think so. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it sure sounds like it. Mm-hmm. 
But okay, so I said two questions. You also mentioned um, that there were repercussions. So this whole episode in school ends, at least the class. The class period ends. Yes. And you said there are repercussions. Yeah, so I touched on it a little bit that I pretty much went a year without friends. So part of that was that I am good at debating and (laughs) talking to people primarily because I've spent more time researching things than people. So... Even though I wasn't really allowed to talk, I still came out of that event on the winning side <laughs> because I just knew what I was talking about and everyone else was talking nonsense. So through that, people were embarrassed and angry. So there was at one point after the third day of this debate where my class was just yelling at me that I walked around a corner and one of the people that I considered to be a pretty good friend of mine, I walked around the corner and, and she was saying, oh, Ryan's such an idiot. I can't believe he would say that. Oh. As I walked around the corner and there were just like two or three events like that that are very hurtful. So you felt ostracized. Oh, absolutely. Uh, because of your assignment. Yeah, and, and also... um you, you said that I was a pretty progressive guy. Um, I'm also a pretty liberal guy, I think is a pretty thing to say. But, you know, especially in the language you used, I had already felt very ostracized. Um, lots of people that I know that I think of as friends use the term lim- liberal as a synonym for evil or sinning. So, so true. Which is, yeah. just Which is partly why I wanted to have this discussion with you, because... Um, you call yourself a liberal. I think most of the students do too. Oh yeah. Um, but I do not see an evil ounce in your bones. And I've actually thoroughly, I've developed a lot of respect for you and your views. I may not buy a lot of them. I may not be on board, but I've learned so much about, um, just what great people a liberal can be, <laughs> which, which for some people would be a hard thing to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I want to thank you for that. Yeah, um, I really, I'm glad to hear that. Now, I, I do want to hear, though, um, and I think, um, sorry, I'm going to jump in real fast. Sure. The same is definitely true for you. Um, I oftentimes am guilty of a similar thing with conservative, um, and I, you're much more conservative than I am. <laughs> and, <laughs> but so, you know, I, I really do respect how thoughtful you are, and just I really appreciate that from you. So. Well, thanks. I, I'll send you the check later for yeah, those yeah, comments. No problem. <laughs> you mentioned like there's, there's been some ostracization from back then, but how are how are things now? Especially with some of your friends who said things that they probably wish you didn't hear. Yeah, um, a lot of people don't like talking to me. Um. Term any names around, but like you know, there's a lot of times in class whenever I talk, people get really annoyed. I don't know if you see that, um, but I definitely do. Um, so just yeah, I definitely still feel that because um, I am very much in the minority here, um, where I think it's probably me and one or two other people mm-hmm. that feel the way or think the way I do about faith. Um, and so I definitely feel ostracized a lot. Um, people talk about liberals, you know, even now it's not like things have changed now that people know that I'm a liberal. 
um, but people still talk about liberalism as though it's evil or synonymous with the devil. Synonymous? That was weird. <laughs> one thing you would like people who misunderstand liberals to know what would you say um i don't know um it's hard because uh, i think a lot of it the the biggest thing i'd like to just have people take away is that politics isn't faith hmm. which is that you can disagree with people in politics but your politics doesn't have to govern your faith. And in fact, it should be the opposite, but I don't think it is. And I think that's why, um, liberal Christians have a hard time thinking of conservative Christians in a way that is like the same kind of Christian as them. And I think the same is true for conservatives where we've let this political divide divide us on something that we actually believe very similar things in. Um, and, you know, our political differences are the same as our religious differences, which I think is very telling. Ryan, thank you so much for being so open and sharing. I came across this quote this week, which I thought would have been a fantastic addition to Braving the Wilderness with Jesus. It's about this Romanian missionary named Joseph Son. I think I'm saying that right. It's T-S-O-N. And while he was under interrogation by the authorities, he said this. And I'm quoting this from Jared C. Wilson's book, The Storytelling God. Your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. Here is how it works. You know that my sermons on tape have spread all over the country. If you kill me, those sermons will be sprinkled with my blood. Everyone will know that I died for my preaching. And everyone who has a tape will pick it up and say, I'd better listen again to what this man preached, because he really meant it. He sealed it with his life. So, sir, my sermons will speak ten times louder than before. I will actually rejoice in this supreme victory if you kill me. So he sent me home. Another officer who was interrogating a pastor friend of mine told him, We know that Mr. Son would love to be a martyr but we are not that foolish to fulfill his wish. I stopped to consider the meaning of that statement. I remembered how, for many years, I had been afraid of dying. I had kept a low profile. Because I wanted badly to live, I had wasted my life in inactivity. But now that I had placed my life on the altar and decided I was ready to die for the gospel, they were telling me they would not kill me. I could go wherever I wanted in the country and preach whatever I wanted, knowing I was safe. As long as I tried to save my life, I was losing it. Now that I was willing to lose it, I found it. 
now one more installment of the Bible Awards from a couple of high school students. Alright, so I have here two students who turned up for our Bible Awards. And we have Phil, uh, Junior, and Ryan, Senior. Hello. Uh, so let's start with this year's most important passage to you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. I still don't have the reference for that, but, I mean, that is so true in, like, all of our daily lives. Because I think we just get caught up in being, like, we're right. There's one true um, answer to every question that you have. And I feel like when we think that way, we just kind of blow everybody else off. Like we say, you're not important because there's only one answer and I have the right answer and you're wrong. And I feel like that's not the way that it should go. And it's, oh, First Peter 5, 6. No, not the same. Not in yeah. Galatians. There it is. First Peter 5, I don't know where Galatians came from. We were trying real hard. Right, Ryan, your most important passage this year. Um, my pastor did this for the sunrise service. Um, it was... Uh, John 22, it's, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple and the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and don't know where we put him. And yeah, and we don't know where we, where they have put him. Um, so I really like this verse because, um, for the entirety of John's account of, um, the, um, resurrection, uh, he just refers to one of the disciples as uh, the one Jesus loved, um, which is sort of a, it sort of ties into Ignatian contemplation, which is that they leave this empty spot in the story where um, the reader can put themselves into and really mm. experience the story. And I just, I really like that. And so by Ignatian contemplation, you're referring to the practice of putting yourself imaginatively into the passage. Yes. Okay. So, so, so that we can start to, we become the disciple who Jesus loved. Yeah, put ourselves there. Have you done that? Yeah. Um, so uh, during the sunrise service, um, I was. Uh, it's part of the tradition at our mountain community that we um, put on a play for the sunrise service. So I played Jesus in that play last year. So I actually had a lot of time to um, interact with this sermon. So I definitely got some time to do that, and it was um, really fun experience. Best book of the Bible, most important to you? I really like Mark um, for a couple of reasons. Um, I like that it's um, was the first book of the New Testament written as a gospel. Right. Um, and I, I also, um, I really like the way that Mark writes. It's just like these very brief things that are very different accounts of the same stories than the other gospel writers. It's very to the point. Yeah. There's this, uh, my personal favorite example of that. Um, there's this one bit where he's recounting the story of Jesus walking on water and all of the other, um, gospels talk about how Peter walks on the water afterwards <laughs> and Mark could not be bothered to talk about it. And he's just <laughs> right. like, Jesus walked on the water and then we went to the sea of Galilee and did something else. And I just think it's a really funny um, I, I almost wonder, I mean, like, were, were Mark and Peter working together? Like, Peter's basically paying Mark, hey, dude, don't mention that. It was a major failure for me. <laughs> I mean, and like, was Matthew thinking, dude, I so 
pin one up Peter here. <laughs> Let me just slip this in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's just, I, I think it's, he, he focuses a lot on God, but doesn't really, like, he's really interested in revealing the nature of Christ, but doesn't necessarily care about what the disciples were doing. Cause there's a lot of times where that happens. Like, um, the original ending for Mark, it's in most of the subscripts, um, is that the last chapter of Mark was actually added about a hundred years later by a scribe who wanted to, um, make it flow better because it was written before acts happened kind of. So it, the gospel of Mark actually ends with, um, Mary, uh, the two Marys, um, seeing Jesus at the tomb, and then it says, and they were terrified and told no one of what they saw. Right, there's silence. where it was originally ends. Why do you think it ends that way? Um, I don't know. Um, I just think it's interesting because it's, I mean, obviously very different from the rest of the gospel stories where they immediately run down and tell all of the other apostles. Um, I think it might be a more realistic ending. Um, because, you know, they're in a terrifying place. Um, they just came upon a bunch of Roman soldiers who've been knocked unconscious and, you know, uh, a criminal who Rome felt was bad enough to crucify was just up and about. I also wonder if Mark ends there just trying to invite us into, hey, this is news to share. Like, they were silent, but we've had time to think about this and realize this happened. Let's go say something. Phil, your book of the year. Book of the year. I would say if I was stranded on an island for a long time, I would want Proverbs there because I mean, nice. There, and it might sound like really meta or like like. Okay, the term meta means like what the crowd usually goes with, and it's like it, it's a gaming term. Sorry, um, but thanks for clarifying that. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I mean. There's so many, there's, if we took Proverbs today and we just made it into a separate book and instituted it in schools, like not as affiliated to the Bible whatsoever, and just had this like a um, morals class, I mean, I feel like that would fix a lot of the stuff that's going on today. Because, I mean, kids are being sent to school with no like set morals and pretty much the people with the really perverted morals are able to transform everybody else's. Yeah. It's a really interesting thought there you have about like, just let, even if people have to, even if we have to like get rid of the God idea just to get this into people's minds, it's Mm -hmm. that important. All right. So our last award is character. Um, this is very specific. I really like, um, the character of Lazarus, but not, the actual character of Lazarus, the character Lazarus from the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Uh, okay, not resurrected Lazarus in John 11, but... But Lazarus, who I think it's goes to heaven Luke in... Luke 14? Luke 16. 16. 19 Close. through 31. Um, but I really like the way that uh, Jesus describes um, salvation in that. Just... Um, I thought it was really interesting and very applicable for today. And I'm just like, I like that Lazarus, like, um, he ends up talking to this rich man who's ignored him for his whole life and let him die really, um, while sitting outside of his gates and is perfectly able to help him. 
um, but uh, is still kind to him and tries to get him a drink of water, even though <laughs> he's not allowed to. And tries to tell uh, his brothers about salvation, but never does. Yeah. He's in heaven, and they're both dead already. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. You pick a guy from a parable. I don't think people usually would think of that. But but he is the one guy named in any parables. So. Yeah. Which, and I thought it was interesting. Um, I, I, I often wonder if, like, Jesus sees sort of like a parallel between himself hmm. and the rich man in this context, where, like, he, he sort of has to let Lazarus down for the purposes of um, raising him up later so that he can, you know, show his true power. Where, like, he actually waits to go to Lazarus so that he can bring him back from the dead. And I kind of wonder if Jesus names Lazarus in that parable so that he can draw a connection between the actual event. Oh, interesting. Okay, so you're connecting the historical Lazarus with the Lazarus of this parable. Well, so he uses the same name as, right. you know, a friend of his who has died. And I, I almost wonder if Jesus feels guilty because he let Lazarus die and sort of sees himself as being the rich man who let Lazarus down. Almost like, hey, I learned something. Let me share this with you. Yeah, which is an idea that modern Christians don't like, but would not have been a super big problem for Christians at the time. But I think through that, he's still trying to provide an example for us. So I yeah. think he took that out and was trying to provide an example for us of the parable in real life, like living it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. They never talk about Lazarus's piety ever in that uh, parable. They, the only time they mm. ever talk about any reason, they actually do give a reason why Lazarus went to heaven, and they say uh, Lazarus uh, was never fortunate in life, so he has become fortunate in death, basically. And that's the only reason they give, which is a really unique way of describing salvation. I, I must say, most unique character award I think I'm ever going to hear. <laughs> so Phil, follow that up. So my character of the year, um, I would say Moses. And it's not because of like his wisdom or anything, but there's just one section in here. And God tells him, uh, take the staff, assemble the congregation. You, Aaron, your brother, tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. And then while he's striking it. And then he does, he does it correctly the first time and speaks it out and talks about it. But then... The second time, he just goes up and just strikes the rock. And I feel like it might be my interpretation of this for this year is that we're striking before we talk about it. Mm. And we're attacking people before we have a chance to even learn us so get good. common terms. And just. And I feel like if we could just talk about it before we start attacking people, I feel like most of the arguments and most of the problems we have today would just be solved. Oh, yeah. So good. I also sense a little correlation between most important passage, First Peter 5, mm-hmm. 6, and Moses. You're kind of drawing on some of the same reasons for those. Yeah, uh, I just feel like that's been... Around this year, I feel like that's what's been happening. Yeah. And politically, at our school, with other people, your friends... I feel like this has just been happening, and I feel like if we took time to put it into practice, I feel like it... Yeah. 
it, so how can we stop striking and start speaking? I think the first step is just to listen. I mean, ask them where are you like where are you coming from? Like when you say this, like I mean, what's your background? Like I mean, because I mean, if you don't know where they're coming from, you may not even have a right to say anything. Because I mean, they might. I'm not going to use an example, but I mean, basically, I mean, you have to know where somebody's coming from to understand what they're even saying. If you just take what they're saying, it's like taking a verse out of the Bible out of context. Out of context, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I absolutely agree. Um, I, you do a really good job at this. Um, I just wanted to highlight that. Um, one thing you do really well when you're having these conversations is you make sure you hear what they have to say first, and then you apply that to yourself and the people around you. And just the first thing you have to do is find common ground. Um, the other thing that I think is important is um, you have to deal with the straw man fallacy, um, which is just the idea that a lot of these issues, the reason they're so divisive is because we're not attacking the actual positions of the other person. We're attacking a position that's much more extreme and obviously ludicrous about the other person. And a lot of times, because that's so ingrained in our culture, we have a hard time distinguishing between those two. Um, and we get very emotionally attached to those two sides of the issue and can feel offended and don't necessarily want to be open. Yeah. All right, let's preview next Sunday's text, the Gospel of Luke. So in Matthew, we went mountain climbing with Jesus. In Mark, we were braving the wilderness with Jesus. And in Luke, we will be storytelling with Jesus. Yes, Luke has Jesus telling far more stories than the other Gospels. And there are stories in Luke's gospel which are exclusive to his gospel. They don't show up in any of the other ones. There's this section in the middle of Luke which I plan to be emphasizing, which is unique from the other gospels. It's this section where he's traveling to Jerusalem. Now, Mark has that. He has an episode in the middle of his gospel where Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem and he's talking to his disciples, but but his conversations with them are very pointed and it's very brief. He basically keeps telling them, I'm going to die, they misunderstand, and then he teaches them what it means to walk his way. It means you're dying to yourself, to serve others, and you're going to find life by doing so. But in Luke's gospel, that three-chapter episode in Mark is stretched out to ten chapters. And in these ten chapters, we find Jesus telling ten stories that are completely unique to Luke's gospel. You find this travel narrative starting in chapter 9, verse 51, and going all the way to chapter 19, verse 27. That's 951 to 1927. And though that's not a strict travelogue where we see he went here, then there, then there, and it makes complete chronological sense, um, it, it bounces around quite a bit. 
So though it's not a complete travelogue and it shifts from this place to this place back to that place, it does seem that Luke frames this between Galilee and Jerusalem, which would make most of this, if not all of it, occurring in the region known as Samaria. Yeah, the Samaria that the Jews did not like to go to. They would often go around the region. And there are records in the historian Josephus where uh, some pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem would be attacked by Samaritans. Now, that's not to villainize the Samaritans. The Jews did a number of bad things to the Samaritans themselves. But the point is to show that the Jews, if they could help it, did not like the area of Samaria. It was the worst part about getting to Jerusalem from Galilee. And so if they could, sometimes they would go all the way around or if they had to go through, they made sure they got through as soon as possible. It's like one of those neighborhoods where you just know you don't want to get gas. So you'll drive through and stop somewhere else. What's unique about this section is how Jesus takes his time and tells stories. He's in no hurry to get out of Samaria. And it begins with Samaritans denying Jesus and his disciples hospitality. And so one would think that Jesus would say, that's it, done with Samaria, they rejected me. But no, instead, it seems that he shifts his tactic from preaching and teaching to storytelling. And so there are actually 11 stories in this 10 chapter section, but we're saying 10 because the last one in Luke 19, 11, it's one that um, is also told in the gospel of Matthew. So there's 11, but there's 10 unique ones. I'll name them off for you real quick. Uh, starting in Luke 10, 25, you have the neighbor. In 11, verse 1, the friend. In 12, 13, the barn builder. In 13.6, manure. In 14.1, table talk. In chapter 15, the lost brothers, which is prefaced with two other stories about a lost sheep and a lost coin. In 16.1, the rascal. In 16 verse 19, the invisible man, also known as Lazarus. In Luke 18 verse 1, the widow. In Luke 18, verse 9, the sinners. And then the 11th story, as also told in Matthew, the minimalist in Luke 19, 11. And then Jesus is at Jerusalem. So as you read, I want you to just start contemplating and meditating the fact that Jesus, as he neared his death, started to tell more stories and fewer sermons. And if Jesus is a storytelling God, then what should we be? Enjoy your reading of the Gospel of Luke. I look forward to teaching this Gospel on Sunday. <laughs>